I'm Douglas Brush, and you're listening to Cybersecurity Interviews. Cybersecurity Interviews is the weekly podcast dedicated to digging into the minds of the influencers, thought leaders, and individuals who shape the cybersecurity industry. I discover what motivates them, explore their journey in cybersecurity, and discuss where they think the industry is going. The show lets listeners learn from the experts' stories and hear their opinions on what works and doesn't in cybersecurity. Hello and welcome to episode 117 of Cybersecurity Interviews. This is the last of a five-part series on diversity, equity, and inclusion, and we're speaking with Sarah Avery. Sarah is a regional sales manager at Zscaler. She has held various positions over the past 20 years in the information technology field and discovered her passion for information security 15 years ago. Her career has largely spent in sales and account management with a laser focus on customer success. Sarah's tenured experience in cybersecurity has given her strong understanding of the complex technology and intelligence required to keep enterprises secure. From a young age, she was raised to be a strong female and leader. Her mother, along with other trailblazing women, campaigned to start the Equal Rights Amendment in Colorado in the early 1970s. With a passion for helping others, Sarah wanted to start a group that would help mentor, teach, and guide women and founded Women in Cybersecurity, ISSA Denver. Her vision was to find a way to inspire and support women in all areas of information security, as well as develop and mentor the young female generation for the future of the dynamic and ever-changing world of information security. In this episode, we discuss her early start with Y2K, why she helped start Women in Security with the Denver ISSA chapter, the evolution of communications with work styles, getting young girls into STEM, how she's championing equality at work, dealing with gaslighting, mansplaining, and microaggressions, removing the stigma of the hacker, and so much more. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. Thanks for listening. Well, Sarah, thank you for joining me on Cybersecurity Interviews. How are you today? I'm doing very well today. How are you? Doing well. Although, just before we hit record, we were we were lamenting about our old school cooking techniques of having to print out stuff and our, and our significant others not, not appreciating that. My wife, uh, my wife not understanding why there's prints out, printouts of recipes all over the kitchen um, like I'm some kind of crazy recipe hoarder. But I'm like, that's, that's the way I work. Well, that's the way I work, too. And I'll give you um, a little tidbit um, to keep spouses happy is I took a three-hole um, three punch. And I put them into all of my recipes, and I put it into one of those fancy old, you know, trapper keeper binders. So now it's my own recipe book, and it seems to have uh, put his uh, recipe, I don't want to call it anger, but, you know. <laughs> Anxiety, that, maybe. That day. Yeah. <laughs> At least help. Yeah. Well, you know, speaking of anxiety, that's that's some of the things I've been working on this year is, is I decided it was I'm done trying to solve the same problems for 20 years in cybersecurity of poor asset management, uh, open RDP ports and and bad passwords. And I would focus on mental health. And what the topic I want to talk to you about was uh, diversity and inclusion in an industry and specifically around some of the work you've done here in the local community with Denver. But why don't we first talk about how you really got started on your cybersecurity journey? and technology in general. looks like you've been doing it for some time. Thank you for saying some time and not a really long time. I think (laughs) at this point it probably is a really uh, long time. It's, uh, I guess, kind of in a a roundabout way. I ended up in technology, I don't think, in high school or, 
you know, even going into college, I really had a passion um, for technology. I found that a little bit later in life, and it was right around, I'm sure you remember, Y2K, and everybody was talking about how the world was going to end and the computer clocks and how was it going to happen. And I started thinking uh, to myself, how is it that we are also dependent on, you know, computers and what happens if something does go awry? And the need just kind of went into my soul to want to learn uh, more about it. So I had uh, a friend who owned a technology company here in Colorado and asked if he'd give me an opportunity to learn about technology. And my background before that was in sales. So he gave me my first um, kind of consulting sales job, trying to help people establish a baseline and, and if there would be a problem for Y2K. So it does go back a while, but fell into it. And now I can't imagine doing anything else just because I love it so much. I love technology and the security component. So when you started, were you uh, a unique face in the organization being a female? You know, if, if I go back to, again, my my roots are going back to the 90s. Yeah, it was it was still, unfortunately still is, a very male and, and cis, white, and male, able-bodied, uh, dominated field. But did you did you see that even at that time? Um, you know, I don't know that I realized what, um, you know, what a lack of a diverse talent pool there was. You know, I was focused so much on learning the technology. I wasn't thinking back then about uh, the diversity. And it just wasn't on the forefront of what we were talking about. Um, so it took me a little while to realize, I think that, wow, I am one of a handful, um, of women working with men. I mean, my, uh, mom passed away when I was young, so I was raised by my father. So it wasn't so odd to me to be surrounded by men, you know, kind of telling me what to do or, or learning from them or, or whatever it was. So it didn't occur to me um, right off the bat, but then I did go to work for EMC Corporation where it became very prevalent how few women were in the field and, you know, the term the old boys club. Um, I think that's when I started realizing uh, the lack of diversity and, you know, how few women were in technology uh, early 2000s. Yeah. And have you seen much of a change, you know, in this? I mean, when I was looking at some numbers, I was getting prepared to submit. Uh, and of course, as I do, procrastinate and wait till the last second. But our Rocky Mountain Information Security Conference coming up in June. Um, yep. I'm, I'm doing a talk track on, you know, calling it, you know, white people problems. The lack of, let's talk about the lack of diversity in cybersecurity. And when I started looking at some of the numbers, we, it, the numbers are still scary that there's still you know only 20% of uh, the pop of the workforce is represented by women 13% um, are CISOs you know we're still seeing to be in 2021 not getting a, a very good cross section of the human population represented in cybersecurity yeah i think one of the last um uh facts or, or um, pieces of information that I saw that there are like 3 million um, unfilled cybersecurity positions out there in general. And there is only, you know, I used to use the number 11%. I know it is growing. Um, but of females 
in cybersecurity. So that's one of the reasons that I wanted to start Women in Security here in Denver is, you know, one, we have this need for people. We have a lack of people getting into cyber. And I think women are uh, tend to like shy away from it because they feel like it is still so male dominated and they don't want to put themselves in that position from a comfort level, um, whether it's knowledge or, or whatever it is. Um, but that's the reason I started it is because this is such a phenomenal career. We need diversity, inclusivity, you know, um, a combination of so many different people in the workforce so that companies can get different perspectives. Companies can be better with different ideas and people coming from different backgrounds. But women especially, to get them to start thinking about a career in cybersecurity just became my passion because I love it, because there's a need. And once you dig into it, um, you know, our male counterparts have all been from my experience, most I guess mostly incredibly supportive and mentors and allies working to solve that same, you know, lack of inclusivity and diversity uh, challenge that I think we all, you know, realize is here now. Uh, when I started Women in Security four years ago, people were talking about it, but now every time I turn around, that you know, the companies themselves have internal Women in Security and diversity groups and every uh, pocket in state are creating them. So I think we've all done a really good job realizing the problem and coming up with ways that we can solve the problem. And then hopefully we'll start to see the, you know, the rewards from our, our hard work pay off soon and, and get those, uh, get more folks into a field we love. Yeah. And, you know, I think I've been, I've been very fortunate myself for having um, a very different, a group of diverse mentors in my life. And I would even include my mother who's, you know, I still have her helping me out with things today in my personal brand profiling and cybersecurity. And, you know, she's, uh, she's been very, a very good sounding board. And that's what I found was having that kind of diverse set of people to bounce ideas off of that. I often don't always know, um, what I'm talking about. Um, but I've also seen the challenges too, where, you know, diverse voices can sometimes be, um, not even just marginalized, but even almost with uh, microaggressions or, or just things that people don't realize that they're Overlooked. doing. And do you see yeah. that happening quite a bit or have you experienced that? And, you know, how are some of the ways to kind of maybe steer people out of that when they might not even know they're, they're doing things that could be harmful? Wow. That is a lot to unpack there, my friend. It's a long form podcast, um, you know, and, and, you know, we, we can take yeah, as much time. <laughs> boy, just throw that right out at me and let me see how I can put this into words. So, um, getting more women and diversity into cyber will help us solve, I think, the problem because there'll be more different and louder voices. And the more people that are coming at all of us, and I don't mean that in an attack kind of way, with different backgrounds and putting us all into different learning experiences as we're working will be for the better good of everyone. I have been incredibly lucky to have wonderful mentors um, in, uh, you know, my lifetime with some of the female CISOs in town that have been so wonderful and in helping me navigate maybe a tough conversation or how do I want to handle a situation. So I think people having a mentor to kind of guide them through um, is incredibly important. Now, 
where do I notice it? What I notice, um, and like, oh, I want to do is talk about me because I don't want to say something that does not reflect how someone else is feeling. But where I feel um, sometimes marginalized or, or ignored or uh, criticized, and I don't feel like I see it a lot, um, but when I will ask a male counterpart a question, and if my sales engineer happens to be male, they look to him to get the answer. And so I don't know if that's because he's the engineer or because it's ma- he's male, but it happens, and then that makes you feel, you know, inferior or why doesn't he trust me to give him the answer? So ignoring my question and going to my male counterparts has certainly happened uh, to me, and it could be for, you know, other reasons. Um, I think the thing that's been the most hurtful to me in my career is, you know, let's say there's a, a problem with the technology and I go to people above me to share my feelings about the technology. And then a male will go in and share the exact same feedback and, you know, challenges and we present them largely the same. But the reaction I get from people is, why are you so emotional about it? Maybe that's my Italian personality and I take it up a notch. I don't know. But it's the problem-solving skills, you present the same information, and there's just this, you know, aura, I guess, of women are emotional, they can't solve problems, so I'm going to go somewhere else to, to get them to solve the problem. And I'm generalizing, but that's something sure. that's impacted me, because when they tell you, they marginalize you, they invalidate what you're saying, and don't want to do anything about it. And so they kind of redirect the conversation, I guess. And that what's called gaslighting. Yeah. And are there, I mean, are there things that you can do, you know, in that moment or that you found that you can or can't do in that moment to kind of call that out? Um, you know, I think a lot of this is, is kind of new to a lot of folks. And, you know, I think people can be, you know, gun shy being conf- confrontational, but are there ways to kind of handle that delicately? Well, one of the things, you know, one of the reasons women don't get into cybersecurity is is because they don't think their voice will be heard um, and that they'll do a good enough job. And you also think of technologists sometimes, again, generalizing, but being more of introverts and not comfortable in meetings or settings. So for me, I, as I've evolved and gotten older, I'm totally comfortable addressing a situation like that in a meeting. Like, I feel like you did not hear me. It's the same thing we talked about our spouses. Why would you say, no, it didn't happen that way when you just negated everything that I said? So I'm very comfortable diplomatically bringing it up um, in most situations. But I'm also, you know, bossy and not shy and, and not afraid to speak my mind. So I think it would be harder and something we could all do better is for the technologists who don't have the extroverted features and like to be a little bit more in the back of the room, make sure that all these conversations are safe spaces for them to be comfortable to bring that up. And that's just based on personality, I think, and how you're raised and what's internal. So I think it's going to be different from everyone and and different in every conversation. I did tell someone they were mansplaining to me the other day, so... I guess I'm comfortable with it. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I think you know, and, and I, I've I tend I have a challenge. I would say you know with with where I am in in my professional circles in life, where I'm generally called in to make very authoritative statements. You know, and I don't always know if I'm making a right one, but I, I generally have to say, no, this is the way we're going to do it. You know, it's kind of the uh, the wolf character that I've equated to in Pulp Fiction. It's we got to do this. I talk fast. You know, I, I, I'm bossy because things have to get done. But I do know, you know, that type of mansplaining as it come out can affect both a lot of different people from a lot of different backgrounds where it's like it's missing the mark of knowing your audience, which is something, again, going back to, to mentorship from my mother, which it's a very strong communications yeah. consultant written books on it. She said, look, you know, that might just not be yourself, not just by women, but other people as well. You know, you got to step back and think that personality of being the boss doesn't always work. And it's made me very reflective on how I think, wow, I just, you know, I'm kind of maybe I'm being an asshole. <laughs> and while that gets rewarded at times, it's, it shouldn't always be rewarded. Well, and I think, you know, one of the other challenges we have, aside from uh, diversity and, and getting more women into technology, is, you know, based on age and time in the business, there's a different way of communicating with one another. So back in the day, I won't tell a, you know, wear my snow boots, walk to school and all that snow kind of a story, but I was more used to being in a non-authoritative role, um, and then women start, you know, being able to voice their opinions as the times change. Um, you're used to handling meetings in a way that you have done historically. But I think we are now working with people of different ages who have very different work styles and maybe are more sensitive um, to the way we communicate. So when we communicate, we're just trying to get stuff done, but they may take it as they did not hear me. Why aren't they listening? And they did it their way. Why was I even in the meeting? So based, based on age and experience, I think it's critically important for those of us who are more authoritative to know who's going to be in the room a little bit about them so that you can tailor um, how they communicate to how you would communicate back to them. And I know it sounds like a lot of work, but when I really know someone and have listened to them and have an idea of who they are, the conversations go much better because I tailor my authoritativeness to be more, what do you think? How does that make you feel? Mm. Yeah. And I think it's, it's showing that empathy towards the other person becomes incredibly important. And, and I'm sure you can see it in sales, you know, it's funny. It's, it's, uh, you know, even when I, when I step into more of my sales type roles, it's, it's almost being a therapist. You know, you're really trying to have to be empathetic and understanding the needs of the person sitting on you know the other side of the table for you. And often, uh, I think males, shy away from that a little bit it's i gotta be i gotta be tough in this idea of you yeah. know i can't show yeah. weakness and it's it's very difficult i think for for you know guys having grown up and you know now in my mid-40s but you know having done this for 20 some odd years to to try to you know identify with more of the empathetic side because it's been so often put down quite frankly by by other managers or their business leaders well, and if you think, like, our jobs are our jobs, right? And we love them, and we come and, and we work so hard at doing what we do. But the part that I enjoy the most of women in security or sales or, you know, meetings is the people that I meet. 
So taking something that you, you will always learn something from them. So if we put our guards down on, oh, this salesperson's just coming in to sell me something, and we all, you know, just treat each other like humans, we could learn so much more. We could be more empathetic. We could be more productive. We, you know, just, I, I don't know. There's just something about me that just wants the world to be this idealistic place where we all connect and everyone is happy and you know, equal and all of that. And the only way we can do that is to have conversations, connect um, and connect with other people from all walks of life. Like I seek people out to have conversations with them if they look like they're, you know, a tourist or, um, you know, younger than I am in IT or just whatever it is, just to understand their stories. I've always said my dream job would be to get an RV and tour around and just knock on people's doors to find out who they are because it just helps us all connect and, and be a little bit happier and nicer in life. Yeah. And it kind of goes back to, again, this, this diversity of hearing things from different perspective and kind of breaking down some of your own, own biases of only seeing the world through your eyes. It's, it is really important to understand where the people are coming from. Um, you, you seek opportunity exactly. that way. Uh, there, you know, there's, there's, there's exactly. more. And I think we've, we've fallen into this thing with, with business for so long where it's, it's almost this zero sum game that it's this idea. And when I had, um, you know, I've had some other folks on on the show talking about diversity and inclusion. It's it's not like there's a fixed pie. There's not a finite amount of diversity that you, or um, equality that you give out. You know, it's not like oh, if if I'm now being more empathetic or understanding of somebody else, I'm losing something out of it. It's it's how do we break that cycle, or how have you at least found tools to break that cycle to say, look, we can come to a a understanding where we both quote unquote win, but it doesn't have to be at the loss of somebody else. Yeah, I think, um, you know, when I met my husband 10 years ago, oh, oh my goodness, 10 years ago, we sat down and had a conversation probably over some wine about, you know, what do you think makes a successful relationship or how can, what can we do in the beginning of this relationship to make sure that the other one is heard and obviously have a a good uh, long tenure together. And he, and I said, I'm not going to give him credit because it was my idea. I said, why don't you always put me first and I will always put you first. So if I'm in a meeting and I'm putting the customer first and their needs, they're going to be so much happier because I, I really do care about them and their needs. So they're winning. And then it's amazing how when you give so much to someone, it's the law of reciprocity. They want to give back. So giving to someone makes them happier. They want to give back and then nobody feels like they're losing. You're both winning because you're, you know, putting the other person first. Yeah. It's, it's that weird thing of, you know, you kind of have to give to get, you have to be a little bit vulnerable in doing so to say, Hey, I'm going to put somebody else's needs first. And generally it pays back and dividends when, when you do so. Um, yeah. So, so you know, getting back. So, how has the women in security journey been going so far? You know, when you, when you give this much time, have you started to seeing this kind of investment um, or the fruits of your labors um, in doing so? And as you mentioned, there's some very strong, you know, that that, that I look at as not just because of women, but happen to be very strong leaders like a Debbie Blythe who I've had on the show. And I, you know, kind of put on a pedestal yep. around Love her. her. It's amazing. Just an amazing, Me humble too. person. This and, is my girl. 
She's amazing. Yep. Um, but you see, you know, getting those voices out there and people to recognize um, folks within our community. But how have you have you started to see this investment in your time and, and working with folks like this um, in in the local Denver area? Well, so um, you know, investment with my time. So I started. I mean, we've talked about why I started Women in Security, right? Help help empower and get more women and you know inclusivity and, and diversity in cybersecurity. So that was that was the passion project for me. Fill the gap, find the need, and get young you know help younger females um, know that a STEM career, you know, is a very viable option for them and not male dominated. So I started it as a, um, as a passion project. And I just want, you know, if somebody wants to serve this group and it's going to be, you know, self-serving, don't do it. I mean, it's a, it's a labor of love. And so when we talk about the fruits and Debbie Blythe was the first person, by the way, that I talked to about women in security, I had no idea who she was, talked to her at a trade show and, and thus, you know, she's just been incredibly helpful, her and Rob Rack. So we kicked it off. But the fruits of the labor for me are seeing when we used to meet in person, um, there was a, a, a gal very shy in the back of the room and we had our meeting. And at the end, she stood up and told us that was the first time that she's ever felt comfortable standing up and talking about her, herself, her journey in a group of people and how much women in security in that group had helped her. So when I see something like that, that is worth the fruit, you know, of my labor. And it takes a lot of work and time, obviously, to pull these things together. Steph Jasper is my sponsorship uh, gal, and she really helps me. So I'm, I'm glad to have that. I love uh, working with the cyber patriots and going into the schools to educate um, kids on, you know, kids in STEM and watching them uh, grow. So I love seeing people from SecureSet find jobs, and I'm always trying to put people in jobs and with people. We have great Debbie Blythe, Mary Haynes, people being, you know, mentors and allies um, for our group. So the fruits of my labor are just watching people evolve, getting fabulous speakers and topics to present on, you know, for our groups, we do one security related topic and then one um, like essentialism is our, our next topic where, you know, only do what you can do. Um, so fruit of the labor is to see that we have grown from 25 people a meeting to a hundred very active members, um, hearing that they love the event, hearing that it helped them in some way, help develop, you know, someone, you know, with a mentorship um, and just seeing the positive impact. And as soon as we start seeing those numbers kick up in the 20, 30, 40% females in this space, I will know that my work here is done and, and I'll go retire on a beach somewhere. That's good. It's important. Did yes. that answer your question? Uh, I mean, there's not really a way to quantify it. <laughs> no, but that that's part of it. It doesn't always have to be. I mean, to a certain degree. I mean, say if I get thirty percent involvement, that that's that's a big, you know, it's tripling the numbers. <laughs> that that could be amazing. Yeah. But but also, you know, I have um, you know, I have a ten ten year old daughter going on thirty. She's 
way too too uh, smart for her age in, in certain ways. Uh, I, you know, I think just you know just having moved um, from New York City at Colorado, a lot of changes. She's she's had to kind of grow up fast in a certain in certain ways. Um, but you know, I'm careful not to try to push her too heavily into hey, just you know, do what Daddy did or do what Mommy did. You know, let her kind of explore her own. But I, I'm interested to see how do we do even make things um, even presentable or of interest to young ladies that are that are now you're know, going to be going out of maybe grade school in the middle school and then on next thing you know high school but to be interested in stem programs um, because I almost feel like if we wait till hey we're going to wait till somebody's in their second or third year of college it's you know we've kind of missed the boat a little bit is there too early of an age to get to get young girls started with this type of technology you know, I, I don't think there's an age to get them started, but like Girls Who Code is a fabulous organization. Um, they have, what is it, Carly? There's a, a supermodel that is, tech, you know, a, a coder and a technologist getting young girls um, into cyber through coding video games. Like every one of, I don't have kids, but that age group wants to play video games. We'll teach them how to code them. Um, so I don't think there's an age getting them in. I think it's just finding a camp or a an organization that would mirror the skills with a fun way to learn. I mean, the Girl Scouts now have a cybersecurity badge. I think that's the coolest thing ever. So, um, you know, there there are a lot of organizations out there. I think it's just knowing your kid and figuring out... Um, you know, if, if technology is even their thing, and maybe it isn't, but exposing them to as much as you can so they know what's out there. I wish someone, you know, had done that for me. Yeah. I mean, we talked. Although we would have been, we would have been on an abacus or something like that. <laughs> back day, but yeah. But in their, in their, you know, let's, let's, you know, let's not kid ourselves. You know, we're, we're, I think we've both probably enjoyed the, the fruits of our, our industry. I mean, these are, these are generally high paying jobs. Uh, there's more uh, demand than there is supply in, in most cases. Um, but there still seems to be that problem where um, female counterparts are tend to be paid less. And then even uh, people of color are paid less. So it's, is there ways that we could, you know, kind of help level that playing field so it can be, hey, yes, you're going to be joining a, a career where there is some equality in pay, where it's not always, hey, sure, join the ranks, but, you know, you're going to get paid, you know, 10 to 20% less. Well, that's a bigger um, challenge than what little old Sarah Avery can solve. Um, I think that I believe in you. I think you can do anything, but... <laughs> I mean, if anybody, I could, you know, go, go run for office, although, you know, there's probably pictures out there from high school that would preclude me from that. But I think like women, uh, so at Zscaler, we have a group that's been recently created called WISE, and they address all of the issues that women are facing if they are facing them at Zscaler. And they have made strides so quickly to make sure that they're, you know, up to par on maternity leave and paternity leave and um, equal pay. I think the fact that, if, you know, women are still getting paid, like, whatever. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know how to fix that except for to lead by example. Like when I go in and do a sale, I do it every single time because I really care about some, you know, someone and something. If somebody really cares about someone and something, why, and they do the exact same job, why should there be 
any disparity in pay, period. My mom started the ERA in Denver, so I've heard this, you know, my entire life. I don't know how to solve it, but it doesn't seem to me, I don't know how big the problem still is, um, but I think people like you and the companies and the corporations need to start having those conversations. Yeah, I mean, I don't ever see the book, so I don't know who, <laughs> you know, I don't know what's what. But it's 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 you know quite frankly having that those those open discussions about it. It's saying, hey, look, you know, this is this is still an issue. And one of the things that that was always brought up, and it, to me, it always, and I still believe it does, has a, a tendency to kind of gaslight the situation a little bit by saying, well, you know, women just don't advocate for themselves. Um, and I'm like, that makes me mad. Yeah, that's a little bit too too simplified of an answer, and I don't think that's the case. You know, the case is, you know, and I think we've seen some progressive changes here in Colorado where um, you can't ask somebody what their prior pay was because it's created this kind of vicious cycle where, hey, if I know if I can hire um, a woman for this role, I can ask her how much she's being paid, and likely it's going to be slightly less, and I can keep her at that pay scale, and it becomes two different pay bands uh, for a male versus a female going into this. And I think... That's been a problem. It's just like, I mean, how did a male or a human like even think that way? Like, if, if hire the right person for the job, do the right thing. Can you tell him an idealist? Pay him the same <laughs> amount of money. Like, you'll probably get more. There's so many um, traits that women have. No offense, that males don't. You guys have some that we don't. But like multitasking. Think of you know, a woman runs her home, goes to work, organizes projects. You know that. The skill set that we bring that the other gender does not should be equal to any skill set that, you know, a male has that maybe we don't. I, I'm just kind of talking out of my you-know-what right now, but yeah. it's – I don't – yeah, the whole pay thing is like everyone should be paid equally. I want my teachers to get start getting paid more. Like that's crazy to me. That's a whole nother – that's a whole nother <laughs> podcast you can hire me on how we got to pay people more, but – I hope that that's going away and that someone doesn't say I can get this woman for less um, because that would anger me very much. And I know it's out there. Yeah. And it does. And it's funny, you know, that this, this thing about, you know, again, as you mentioned, the, how people are paid can be a much broader discussion, but it's funny when I've, uh, I've managed and work with people, I I tend to want to pay them, uh, you know, very well and say, okay, now that the money's out of the, the equation how are we going to get to work you know it, it takes the, now what are we going to do yeah, yeah it takes a steam out of both parties from using that as a kludge and well you know who's owed what and what they're, it's like okay let's just get the pay taken out of the way now let's get to work and it tends to go very much more in my favor and, I, and when i've done this uh males females uh you name it it's it's things have just worked out better <laughs> it creates less animosity yep. um and, you well, know. And, you know, the other thing is, and I didn't, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. The other, the other thing is, like, in, in sales, I have a quota, and I have goals I have to hit. So why wouldn't we do that kind of for every job? Is If you're going to work and you have to clean five bathrooms, but you clean seven, you get an extra bump in your pay. People want to feel appreciated and like they're doing a really good job. And the validation of the money or the pat on the back or the certificate, again, that give back will just get you more in the long run. So let's incent people to continue to work hard and to be better and develop their careers because it's for the better good in the long run for the company. They stick around, and uh, you just can get to work. Crazy ideas, right? 
Right. And and part of what I found too is, you know, again, it's it's again, it's it became a challenge for me when I took the the money out of the equation because it's like, oh crap, I as a manager have to work and I have to mentor people. Um, you know, the rubber hits the road. And I found mentoring was was a very interesting thing when I had um, female employees, but I also looked at them in ways where they kind of mentored me in different ways as, and it opened up the doors to me being more mentorable up in that kind of, you know, 180 mentorship thing where, where staff say, hey, look, here's where I need you to be a little bit better about things. And it actually helped me open the door to my male staff to say, hey, look, don't feel bad telling me what you feel. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you that. Like, I, I find feedback incredibly helpful. Um, but how have you seen the dynamic of mentorship between women to women, women to men, men to women? Like, how has that kind of played out and how have you worked with that in your, either in your own career or, or continuing to mentor others? Um, you know, when a thing isn't a thing, you just kind of accept it as the thing, right? So when I, um, after EMC, I worked, that was my kind of first entree and I was at Vericept, a cybersecurity company. And I worked for a gentleman who was also an idealist and thought the same way that I did. And he was a phenomenal mentor to me. I never felt like it was a male or a female. It was just a, I'm going to help you get really good at your job. Um, I've had some phenomenal male role models that have really helped me. Um, I also have had some incredible female mentors that have helped me. And I think it's more the character of the person and, and how they want to help and invest in your career more than it is. Or, or it was a gender, or that I noticed. That being said, when I'm, you know, working with the younger gals or um, people just trying to get into cyber, I feel like it's easier for them to connect with me because I am a female and we have the same goal to get more inclusivity and diversity into women and security. So again, you know, times are changing and times are evolving and we're more aware and, and we know things, but I've been incredibly lucky to have male and female mentors that have just really helped shape me who I am. Um, my, you know, my dad, same thing. Um, but now for me, I love working with the younger, uh, females, helping them get in. So I also feel like I understand that maybe they're a little confused and what I was going through as a teenager. Um, but I, you know, ment a mentor is, is a really good person who wants to listen and help. And I, I don't know that that's always, you know, different, uh, by gender as much as it is by the person and how much they care. Yeah, and I think uh, you know. I would, again, I I try not to make this podcast about my very fortunate upbringing, but I am I've been incredibly lucky. I think in that sense, where uh, both my parents were communications consultants, but also my father taught gender communications at Marist College and said, look, there, there is a difference. I'm not saying one's better or worse. I'm just saying, let's, let's understand, and appreciate the differences and understand and appreciate. And it, it became very, very good and not stigmatizing the way that, you know, roles and just opening up to the way different people communicate essentially. And then saying, oh, okay. And again, it's helped me in sales and consulting and, and, and a variety of things. But, um, you know, I almost think about the same thing with my parents. You know, I might go to my mom for something different because it might, it might be a different feel for it or my father, uh, when he was, right. when he was still around. So I think it's, it's safe to say, yeah, you know, people communicate differently for a variety of different reasons. <laughs> and it's good to get, again, those, those sounding boards that are 
that are uh, different at times. Yeah, and and better for you know the situation um, that you're that you're in. And when I I remember when I started Women in Security, I had a couple conversations with people, and they were like, "Well, why do you have to have a women's club for security? Like, why can't everybody come?" And at first, I'm like, "Well, it's because I want to get more women diversity into cybersecurity." And that was my knee jerk, which it absolutely was. And we had meetings that were female only. And then I thought, you know what? They have a really good point. We all have to work together every day. The topics for security, when we do our security-related topics, are the same. We come at them from different angles. So it's good to learn from that other gender. And so now we have probably... 5% or more that are men that attend our meetings because they want to be educated on how to work better with their counterparts and to get more into diversity. So in the beginning, if if I had gone down the path I was going down, I could have isolated the other gender or other people. And that was not the intent. That's just where my brain was. So now more men are joining and the conversation is expanding and so back to the fruit of my labor, that is one thing that I see, you know, really being dividend, you know, paying off dividends is um, the open communication that people get after they've, you know, been in the same meeting or in a breakout session or something like that, understanding each other. Yeah. And I just want to touch on that a little bit more because, it, it you know, are, is there a maybe a common question you get or maybe I'm I'm asking it not for the first time, but, you know, how can, you know, a uh, you know, uh, males who want to help, you know, organizations like women's security or, or maybe look to be an ally at the workplace. What are things that we can do, but what are some of the things we shouldn't do or say um, that might kind of even um, say almost, almost hurt our, our causes that we're trying to champion? Oh man. Oh man. Oh man. You do ask some uh, tough, interesting, thought provoking, um, questions. So I don't, I I mean, I think the thing you can do is listen to somebody's feelings and not put up the, Hey, stop talking. I'm going to go to somebody else, you know, really try and listen and understand and who they are. Um, Get it. I mean, get involved. Women in security, come to our meetings. Be a mentor to someone that might be looking for one. That's, you know, one of the things of uh, the women in security here in Colorado is just Steph and I, is that we don't have enough of a mentorship program. I know ISSA has um, one or starting, but we never have enough mentors, women or male. And I think they can benefit, you know, maybe you do it with a female and a male and tag team. Mentorship, I think would be the number one thing um, that anyone could do. And then just trying like you're doing, having a podcast on it, getting different people's opinions um, and keeping the conversation alive. Um, I think, yeah, I I love that you're asking. I love that people have asked to be on the podcast. I love people want to get involved with Wiz. They want to, you know, sponsor our meetings, be mentors. Let's just all work together for the common good. And when you see somebody who's struggling, go help them out. Yeah, I mean that's it. It really kind of falls back to me in in a a logical sense to a certain degree that you know when you look back to you know the very early days of information security and the hacker community of 
bulletin boards and forums and somebody would say, hey, look, I know, I know this about Linux systems. I know this about uh, telephone systems. And they would share knowledge and kind of help each other out. I mean, it was really, it's almost a fundamental part of who we are as cybersecurity professionals. <laughs> so it's, it's like, how do we yeah. get back to that DNA of, of really kind of just being there for each other in, in almost an anonymous way? Because back in the day, back on those boards and, you know, that nobody knew who somebody was. Everybody had handles that anonymized each other, but that's like, okay, we don't, care what you look like we just we're here to help um and it's that's exactly right it's a it's it's interesting now that i think you know and i'm wondering if you've seen a little bit of a change of that um with with covid you know some folks um are finding themselves you know having some anonymity with their workplace that they have been able to maybe be seen different or, or or change different or, or not when say change up but uh been accepted differently because they say hey look you know they're they're not dealing with some of the in-person biases or stigmas have you seen any of that change being in the world of zoom um the only thing that i would say that i think has changed with zoom is that and maybe it isn't changed but people who are more quiet in meetings are t- tend to be more quiet on zoom mm. and so i don't feel like they're you know as I worry that people are getting isolated and not being able to communicate at that level because Zoom just, it isn't quite as personal and it isn't, you know, always as easy to connect. So somebody that may be a little more timid may be having more trouble on Zoom. I don't know that I've seen it the other way around where somebody who's timid is now more comfortable, but that's just, you know, me and my um, small subset but one thing I think we all have to quit doing is stigmatizing people in spam and security. Oh, what's the hacker guy who's in the basement, you know, blah, 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 getting into systems and causing havoc. Um, maybe, you know, how do we create a bigger picture of what cybersecurity is so that a daughter your age can see, I always think of Penelope on um, Criminal Minds, like, cool, rad, super smart women who are in cybersecurity, and it's not who they perceive it to be because that's who they've been told. This you know, young guy in the basement causing problems. Well, guess what? There's some um, Cheryl. I can't think of her last name at Proofpoint. There are some bad-ass women on the technical side of the house that are cool and should be celebrated, and that's who we should also look up to for, you know, hacker, ethical hacker, whatever you want to call it. Change what that looks like. Change the narrative. Well, and, and I'm sure you've seen it too, is, is you know, when we're selling cybersecurity solutions, it is tough to get around that bias in business that, oh, it's just, you know, it's just some zit-faced neck beard in a, in a basement. It's like, no, oftentimes these are organized criminal enterprises. I mean, we're, we're far past the days of the, um, you know, the, the, the cliched hacker <laughs> with the hoodie and stuff, this, yep. you know, yep. cyber, cyber security is, uh, you know, on the criminal side is a business and we have to look at it that way. And they have plenty of diversity on their side and it's no wonder we, we tend to kind of always be in a reactive. That's why we're losing. That's yeah. right. They're putting all the money into it and we don't have the, the skill set and the diversity to combat all of their sophistication. Um, and, you know, the other thing we talked about, cybersecurity, we brought up sales. 
I mean, I love technology, but I have the gift of gab. You, you know, came up through the ranks, gift of gab, technical as well. But there are a lot of different roles within cybersecurity. Your daughter doesn't have to want to code to get into a field where maybe she is, you know, the gift of gab like me or can create websites or design marketing and messaging and product. There's so many roles within uh, cybersecurity that I don't think people are aware of them, aside from just that whole stigma of the hacker. So, you know, you don't have to be a techie coder to do something incredibly important in our field. Well, I mean, that's that's a great kind of thing to kind of finish off with is, uh, and I'm sure as you've mentored young women that want to get into this, this field, is there a common question you get asked uh, or for advice on? You know, what's the most common piece of advice that you give out to young women that want to get into cybersecurity? Um, I don't know if it's like so is finite as into cybersecurity necessarily, but the advice that I give um, to everyone, well, there, there is a, a data point. Women will not apply for a job unless they feel like they match all of the, the data and the requirements. A man, you guys probably match one or two, and you go out and think, why wouldn't they hire me? I'm the greatest thing since sliced bread. I'm making levity of a, you know, serious situation. But women need to believe in themselves. They need to know that they have the skill set. They need to be assertive, and they need to go after what they want. You have the skills. You have the power. You have the voice. Stop second-guessing yourself and get after it. And I think that's for, for everything. But there's something in our gender that does not allow us always to push um, uh, be, beyond what we think our skill set is. So regardless of job, go get it, go do a great job, and, you know, doors will open for you. I love and it. And then when it's in cybersecurity, I kind of educate them on all the different roles and you know, kind of figure out where their personality might be a fit. Yeah, because as I well. said, there's there's a lot of different entry points. It's the reason I started the podcast, you know, got four plus years ago was to say, when people say to me, well, how do I get into cybersecurity? I'm like, it's a very open-ended question because there's no one way and there's, and that's a good thing. <laughs> but I wish we would get into like, if I had all the time in the world, go into high schools and junior highs and you know, all of them and educate on the different areas. Like have them take a, I wanted to develop an app, like have them get on an app and put in their skill set, and then it would map to fiber and what they could do. It isn't always techie. Like there's got to be a way that we can use technology to get kids into technology. Yeah, I mean, with with all the things that we, you know, the buzzwords about, you know, AI and machine learning, you think that would be something that we can fix the top of the, the top of the hiring funnel to say, okay, how do we better align and match people with their with their skill sets? Yeah, you so you start with their skill set and then build from there. Okay, here's your curriculum. You could go take it here, here. Or here, I think, you know, back in my day, it was like, how, how something, what color is your parachute? I mean, it's basically just your personality test, and then you build the curriculum after that. If I had any more time in the world, I would do it, but I do not. One day, that's that's our retirement goal, because I've been thinking about that for the last couple of years. There's got to be a better way to build a hiring platform for people in cybersecurity, because what we're doing now just doesn't work well. Here we go, Kismet again. Me too. Yep. It's like I think about it all the time. 
Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, there's another gal. I don't know if you know her, Nancy Phillips. And I have been talking about this um, for a while as well. So maybe when we turn over our reins to all the younger generation to keep uh, on the good work of diversity, inclusivity, and cyber, we can all sit on a beach and create an app to help. I love it. And if anybody on this podcast deals with that idea, please send us royalty. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we're patenting this right now. Well, Sarah, yeah. thank you so much for your time today. Where can people find out more about Women in Security ISSA? Yep. So we have a, link, a LinkedIn page, Women in Security ISSA Denver. It's all through ISSA. The best way to get the information about the meetings and what we're doing uh, is to be an ISSA member, and you can join on the ISSA Denver uh, website. We have about four meetings a year. Like I said, some personal topics, other cybersecurity topics, very open community, more the merrier. We're doing virtual meetings now, but We'll look forward to doing something in person soon. Yeah. So, and I, I would certainly, and we'd love to have them. Yeah. Yep. Soon. Yeah. And, and, you know, that's the one thing I want to, I want to encourage folks is really as, as, as you listen to this, I mean, there's, you know, reach out to, to any of us here in the Denver community and particularly Sarah about how, how to get these things started with your local ISSA chapter or other groups. Um, I think this is one of those things that, you know, it, it's going to take a huge grassroots effort. Um, while we do need change from leadership at the top, I think starting on the ground and doing more more groups like Women in Security, ISSA Denver, um, across the board is, is so incredibly important to get this get this problem solved. I agree. Somebody get the passion, go find the right people, and, and let's just uh, keep this growing, uh, like you said, from the grassroots. And if anybody wants to get more involved with Women in Security, they can just link um, send me a message on LinkedIn, and we're always looking for people to help. Um, then the more people that help, the more we, good we can do. So I appreciate you very much. Thanks for having me on the podcast. Uh, tough questions. You made me keep uh, on my toes. And my job. I just appreciate you keeping the message out there for everybody. Thank you. Thank you, Sarah. And we'll talk again soon. Yep. Talk to you soon. Thanks so much. Thank you so much for joining us today on Cybersecurity Interviews. I hope that you enjoyed this interview as much as I did. Please go to cybersecurityinterviews.com where you can find every episode, including show notes and links for each guest. There you can also find social media links and to sign up for new episode notifications. Thanks. We'll talk soon.